0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of July 8th through 14th, I believe it is. Uh, We're not organizing the news stories by week this week, so uh, the dates, I guess, don't really matter. Um, This week, uh, given recent events, we thought it was appropriate to dedicate the entire episode to the late Satoru Iwata, President and CEO of Nintendo, former president of HAL Laboratories, former super programmer, they liked to call him. Um, we, we thought it would be appropriate to have an entire episode dedicated to him, our memories, um, you know, what, what he did, his legacy. Uh, so it's gonna be sort of unscheduled. Um, it's gonna be, there, there's no real format to it. Um, so, man, I mean, big week,
1: unexpected
0: week.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean,
1: I think it it took a while for it really to sink in with anyone. You know, this is mm-hmm. this was so unexpected, just because you know he he had had surgery last year and everything was uh you know it was it was a successful surgery and they they said he was recovering well and then he uh, he just kind of dropped out of the public eye for a little while. He didn't appear in the last few Nintendo directs. I think it was he, just the last one. Well, yeah. Well, there was the the little miniature ones, but right. I don't know if you really well, care that- about those, but. Yeah, And then just to, to find out, you know, from like a, a business report to shareholders, basically, that was that was not what I was expecting yesterday yeah. or uh, two days ago.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I was actually like out all that day, so I didn't even find out when the news broke. Uh, someone who I knew, know in person, actually, and who I wouldn't have thought would have been the first to kind of hear this news or tell me this news, but came up to me like in the evening on Sunday and said, oh, did you hear – Nintendo's president died. and He didn't even know the guy's name, so that's you know that's how kind of on the fringe of following Nintendo news he was. So, really unexpected for me, especially since I've been kind of out of the news loop the last few days. Um, and you know, it's not that often that that you hear about something like this from someone you know in real life. Usually, you find out on the internet. Um,
0: right. Right. Very surreal. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember I had like just come up from from eating dinner and. It was it was one of those nights where, like, you just hang around the dinner table just because you don't really feel like doing anything else. And I got back and I realized and and I found out that, like, you know, just 10 minutes before uh, the news hit. And I was just. I was really glad I spent those 10 minutes at the table.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess when he didn't show up at E3, and I know they said, you know, we're not announcing new hardware this year, so that's why he's not at E3, but he's the president of Nintendo, and, you know, B3's the biggest news period of the year, so you'd think, you know, at least symbolically, he would at least be there. Uh, he's, I don't think he's ever skipped an E3 before. Except, right. Except,
1: well, last year he skipped it because of the the same illness that ended up claiming his life.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, prior to that, I, I believe he had been to every three.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, looking back on it, it make it makes sense. I mean, they had they had the special digital event with the Muppets, which may have intentionally been, uh, may have unintentionally done it. But either way, it it did end up sort of concealing um, the fact that he was so ill, because um, obviously it was a puppet. Puppets don't get sick. That would be silly. Um, yeah but you know, so I mean, looking back on it, you know, he's been we ha nobody's seen him, at least none of us, obviously people <laughs> at Nintendo and stuff had seen him, but uh in two months or so, so yeah. I mean that's you know that's that's the time that it took for the the illness to take its toll and and because he had apparently recovered so well in the past and was doing so well. Um you know, up until I suppose April or so, as far as as far as they were telling us, uh, you know, it was just so sudden. And it was one of those things that, you know, you hear it and you're like, Okay, thanks P4R gaming. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. then you know, it turns out it's it's real.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean even the people at Nintendo seemed surprised. I believe Miyamoto said in his like his final words about Awata, he said that he was shocked that it had happened. So it it sounds like everyone was really caught off guard, even the people closest to him. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And in my, in my own family, uh, I, I, a, f- a few weeks ago, uh, well, it's a few months ago now, huh? I skipped out early on one of our podcasts because I found out that my father-in-law uh, went to the hospital for some seizures. And it turns out that the seizures were brain cancer that had spread from you know, the likely well, they still haven't found out exactly where, but the likely suspects are either the gallbladder or the liver, which are incidentally the two places that are have bile ducts. And so, it's sort of really hitting home that you know he dies from a, a bile duct tumor, and and I yeah. have this family thing going on. It's just it's it's hitting really close to home uh, yeah. for me in particular. Yeah.
0: well i didn't know iwata so i can't say this for sure but i think he would rather us remember him in a happy way than be so melancholy so <laughs> let's why don't we say some of our favorite moments about uh of iwata and uh, nintendo directs and you, do you guys want to go around and share some stories or thoughts or anything
1: yeah i've got uh i've got one i'll say um you know for for several years now Nintendo's had uh, operating losses on the year and there's been a lot of pressure from shareholders to change ways or to lay off employees and such and i i didn't always agree with what Iwata did like from a corporate strategy point but i always thought it was interesting that he stood firm just time after time when when shareholders would pressure him to fire people he said you know we're we're not going to fire our employees we don't believe in doing that and he said a big reason why is because uh, cutting back only would make sense if he believed that Nintendo was going to be shrunk for the long term, that they had, they had to scale down to a small business model. And he always held firm that he could have this sort of grand return for Nintendo, that they were going to get back on top, they were going to be you know, this, this major company, this major player in the industry again, and that he was not going to fire people because he knew he needed that staff. For when Nintendo climbed back to the top, and he just always had that passion to him, mm-hmm. that no matter you know how bad things were, that they were going to return. Well, not only that, but that he, I mean, he there was this interesting
0: way that he approached that subject. It wasn't just that it was wanting that staff to be there uh, for Nintendo's return to the top. He was he also said, you know, he doesn't he didn't believe that that they could create the best software in the industry if if their employees were uh going through every day in fear of being laid off um and and you know so in part it was symbolic in part it was efficient um in part i think it was also really sincere of him um i mean he cut his own salary like in half or more to keep these people on board that's something that god forbid an american ceo ever do
2: <laughs> yeah um i mean and it's also telling that he focuses on morale uh in particular, be- during, you know, one of the roughest hardware sales cycles, certainly, that Nintendo seen. Because, you know, I think Iwata's stance has always been, you know, we need to make the best software or no one's going to want our hardware. Right. And so, you know, focusing on morale means that you have heartened employees who are focused on smiling and making other people smile rather than focused on bottom line, focused right. on, you know, mechanically going through the motions of software development. Mm -hmm.
0: and I think that's something that that they really embodied so well at Nintendo and I think they will continue to do it Um, but you know that spirit of that they're about making people smile and yeah obviously they're in it to make money they're a company but they're you know if they were only in it for the bottom line for the most profits for the least expenditures they wouldn't have spent time I think doing things like Nintendo Directs communicating directly with the fans um, doing those kinds of things that I think ended up really meaning a lot to us, and and uh built built this this attachment I think uh, that has especially been fostered in the last few years, um, not just to Nintendo's characters and worlds, but to Nintendo's employees as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really special.
1: That's true. If uh Nintendo is a greater whole, but especially for Wada himself you know you mentioned Mm -hmm. holding the nintendo directs and he almost always was personally involved with them right and uh addressing the concerns of fans again that's something he would frequently do personally you know answer questions and talk about uh you know mistakes they've made and how they plan to Mm -hmm. fix it what they plan to do to you know satisfy their fans and you don't always see uh corporate leaders ceos presidents things like that you don't really see them often really connecting with their fans on that level, really showing that kind of interest in the community. Right. It's usually, you know, some marketing guy handling it, but Iwata wanted to be involved in almost all of that stuff personally.
0: Right. And even, you know, even the marketing guys don't do things like hold Nintendo Directs made out of paper or hold, you know, turn himself into Legos and then make a bunch of fruit jokes. Like, that's something that... That's such a playfulness that you don't see in the top brass of really any other companies. Even, even you know, Disney, a hundred years of magic. They, you never hear anything from their CEO. I don't even know the guy's name. But you know, Iwata was there, and he was a huge presence for Nintendo fans, and and that is why I think you you see this huge outpouring of support and and love and remembrance. Um... For someone that that's so atypical of something just like the death of a CEO.
2: Well, I, I before we, we did this, we started the podcast, I was watching his Heart of a Gamer speech, which he gave mm-hmm. it at GDC uh, 2005. Uh, I would say that's probably required watching for anyone who <laughs> wants to really know what Satoru Wata was about. He was um, extremely cool. He was extremely (laughs) cool. That was probably the highlight of that speech for me. I know.
0: I think that's my favorite Iwata.
2: But he talks about how, you know, he's not just a business suit. He's not just a developer. He's not even just a programmer. He started off as a really dedicated gamer and he went into gaming not because he wanted to, like, make a name for himself as a creator not because he wanted to find something to do with programming it's because he liked games so much he loved them and believed in them so much that he wanted to make them so that he can make Mm -hmm. other people enjoy them as much as he enjoys them Mm -hmm. uh and i think it's the fact that he is himself a gamer and uh and not just any gamer but a gamer who you know was attracted to a company like nintendo who makes games for everyone uh, and I think that has a lot to do with the, the the charisma we've seen from him over the years it has a lot to do with uh, how personal uh, people's attachment to him has become over the years. Uh, everything from the content of that speech where he talks about uh, you know how Nintendo really wants to reach every gamer and mm-hmm. also to the way he talks about himself uh, he just exudes. The kind of attitude that I think a lot of people, especially people who've grown up with Nintendo, uh, feel. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's really interesting and and kind of kind of heartbreaking that you know people only really start to talk about this about about all this really um, after he died. Uh, you know, during you know during his life, there were a couple articles like, oh. Iwata's doing a great job with the Wii and DS and stuff, but, you know, there wasn't really this this powerful sentiment in the community uh, of appreciation for, for him and what he did and what he stood for. Um,
2: and I think a lot of that has come out of uh, the disillusionment people have had with, with Nintendo's current direction, um, with you know, the people who haven't been as accepting of 3DS and Wii U or who have felt it's, it's not really met, lived up to its potential.
0: Well, yeah, I'm sure that is part of it. But another part of it, I mean, I think just, just generally uh, people don't really recognize that about anyone until they've died. And I, I think that's that's really sad and something that I think I would like to do a better job of doing. Maybe maybe we'll have a discussion about how wonderful Miyamoto is someday. Um
2: well, I imagine that or... when he takes over Nintendo, which I think is pretty likely, honestly, he seems like the clearest mm. successor, I think we'll probably have a good opportunity to do that.
0: I hope it's Takeda, but that's not thats not today's discussion. No. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: You know, I think uh, just partially because he was, you know, the CEO and that's what people associated with him with, you know. Anytime Nintendo does something bad, the buck stops at him. He's the CEO. Um, I think it's just people kind of forgot about a lot of his accomplishments or just never really focused on them in the first place because they were just looking at where he was now in that position. But right. he, he held so many roles at Nintendo you know, throughout the years before he was their CEO. You know, he contributed to so many games that shaped people's childhoods, and you know they may not have even realized that he was part of that because at the time mm-hmm. he wasn't as well known of a name.
0: Well, including like I was, I was just thinking about how uh, how for the the second generation Pokemon games, how he uh, developed the tools that let Game Freak compress the game to half its size and include the Kanto region. Um, originally, it was just going to be Johto. They wanted to include Kanto, but they couldn't fit it, and Iwata went in. And but <clears throat> I was just thinking, that's not even. You know, that wasn't even that personal an involvement with that game. And yet, without him... I mean, Pokemon Gold is probably the first game, I think, that really, like, enchanted me as a kid and as as someone who uh, has since then uh, been so fond of the worlds of Nintendo. Um, I, I think that was a major, major part of of... My journey journey isn't quite the right word, but I'm sort of at a loss for her words right now. Um but your as own, game, your very
2: own Pokemon adventure. Right,
0: right, right. <laughs> um but and, and part of what made that just so freaking special was uh going to Kanto, having a whole other world to explore. Uh you know, the game was basically twice as long thanks to that, and 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 not only the story, but the exploration afterwards, uh, you know, catching all the Pokemon, there's just that much more space to and explore the and factor too. Well, yeah, but I hadn't played Ren Blue actually. So oh, okay. yeah, I, I started with Johto. So, uh, but yeah, absolutely for other people. Um, but it's, and it, you know, even though he didn't have that personal connection with, with those games, his influence, uh, you know, w- without him, I, I mean, from that, from, from the Kirby games, from Super Smash Bros., which is, I would say, probably the, the biggest pillar in, in my experience as a gamer, um, you know, without him, certainly my life, and I think it's safe to say both of your lives, um, and, you know, just so many Nintendo fans' lives would just be so, so radically different, and, and, uh, I'm, very happy with with who i am today and i largely i think have Iwata to thank for that
2: yeah i think it's good that that you mentioned super smash Bros. because i think a lot of people look at sakurai as like the Mm -hmm. sole progenitor of that series when it was really more of a sakurai iwata sort of partnership they were both yeah had equal part in the original game Right. Uh, in, both from the the concept to actually building up the ideas to making it a game that could feature Nintendo characters battling each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and to convincing Nintendo to actually do it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because they didn't uh, want to. Oh, and Iwata being the businessman, being the business guy that he is, versus Sakurai, who's really more of a, a creator. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it really wouldn't have been possible if you right. didn't have this, this business-minded guy. And that goes for a lot of Nintendo's, I think, bold ideas over the last you know, decade or two or more like a decade and a half, you know, had Iwata not been at the helm, who knows uh, maybe a more reserved, uh, less uh, willing to take risks CEO would have come in instead. Uh, But you have Iwata, a guy who's been in game development, a guy who's been through Nintendo's early days, a guy who, you know, pushed Smash Bros, uh, a game that, like you said, there was internal resistance to within Nintendo. Uh, So he's, I think a lot of people see him as this risk-adverse guy who just wants to crank out more Mario sequels, who wants to, you know, not put in voice chat in games. But really, Iwata is, in many ways, a risk-taker creatively. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know that that would be as big a part of Nintendo's DNA today had he not been uh, in the role that he's in.
1: Yeah, I absolutely believe that had Nintendo had a lot of, you know, other possible candidates as a CEO instead of Iwata, that it would have been a very different history because, you know, you hear people from Nintendo of America or ex-Nintendo employees, and they talk about how kind of um, traditional and bureaucratic Nintendo can be sometimes in their decision making, and, you know, people like to think that Nintendo doesn't really change all that much, but if you look at all the innovations they've had over the past, you know, 15 years or so since Iwata was an executive, they've made some very big changes, and especially in recent years with, you know, the partnerships to make amusement parks and, uh, you know, get Nintendo IP in other games. And, uh, you know, there's there's talks of them, you know, doing movies and things like that. And this is not something that, you know, uh, Nintendo might have done without a lot. I think, I think history would be very different if Nintendo had selected a more traditionally Nintendo type of CEO, someone who just kind of went well, with the flow.
0: I feel like we don't know well enough what Iwata's role was in stuff like the mobile games like the theme parks like the movies and stuff I feel like we could just as easily assume uh, or suspect that without Iwata it would have happened way sooner so I don't know that that's I'm not comfortable attributing that to him but I also am not comfortable saying that's not because of him I just I don't know I just wanted to throw that out there
2: well, I don't know. I, I guess I imagine, like, had someone like Miyamoto risen to the helm, I don't think Nintendo ever would have gone. We I mean, never would have even really con- seriously considered going toward mobile. At least not in this mobile, sort of... certainly not. Yeah, although cause... they may have done like movies sooner. Miyamoto did the Pay- that. Yeah, films. that is very, pro- pro- uh, very possible. Um, but I look, I roll back the clock even further, and I look at, at DS and Wii, and that was a very critical time for Nintendo because PlayStation had basically eaten up the entire gaming market, they were about to put out a, a handheld, you know, and that was Nintendo's real lifeline, I think, during the early PlayStation years. And had Nintendo mm-hmm. not been able to respond so quickly, with something like DS, something that was both a sort of, not, I, I, I say iterative, but that's not really what I mean. It was a very quick, rapid response to Sony introducing the PSP. Uh, but at the same time, it was this really radical step for a handheld in that, You know, it had wireless, which was something that hadn't really been done in gaming before. It had a second screen, which you know, second or touch screens are now so commonplace. It's almost hard to imagine that we ever didn't have them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to put all that in a handheld, and especially one that came out really quite quickly after their uh, the Game Boy Advance. uh, That's that's really it it was about yeah it was three years in Uh, I think Mm. slightly less than three years actually when they were first announced it um that's that's a bold step and that's a necessary step and i don't think nintendo would even be in the position they're in now which you know i know we they're in a relatively weak position but i don't even know that they'd be around uh in the in as a console maker had they not Mm. been able to pull those steps off Same thing for Wii. Uh, They were. uh, Iwata had said at one point, "Had we not been able to outpace GameCube, we would have dropped out of the console business."
0: Really, I don't recall him saying that.
2: Yeah, he said that. um, I think before the Wii even launched, he said, "We need, we need to. uh, If if we can only sell at GameCube levels, then we may not be able to survive as a hardware maker." So they were really, you know, kind of, they kinda they they don't obviously didn't predict how big a, a hit we would be out the gate, but they certainly right. were were putting all their horses or all their horses right. in front of that cart. So
0: Yeah. And and that's a risk that paid off wonderfully, of course. And I, I still think that, that we at DS Boom, you know, has, is sustaining them for as far as brand recognition goes, I think you know if if we and DS hadn't become such monumental successes, then they I mean, would I think they introduced a lot more people to Nintendo's IP, and you know even if even if they didn't do a whole lot of good for Nintendo's reputation as a console for the hardcore gamer, they did a lot of good for Nintendo's reputation as um, the king of video games. I think, as far as the the public eye is concerned as far as gaming franchises go.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone would would contest that Nintendo still has the greatest IP in the industry. And I don't know that if, you know, if they hadn't done so well with Wii and DS, I don't know that they would be in that position in 2015. Yeah. You know, they they may have well been outpaced by someone else.
2: Yeah. Uh, what also strikes me is really ambitious about iwata is that he was willing to say back in 2005 uh you know we're all all us developers are used to making games for ourselves but have how many of us have challenged ourselves to make games that we wouldn't want to play uh you know referring to the Mm -hmm. whole expanded market move with ds and Wii. and i think people kind of take for granted that that you know developers are always going to be prioritizing the kinds of games that they want Um, when in reality, you know, genres become old after a while and diehard fans might stick around or even grow in their fondness for those genres. But, you know, gaming has to be refreshed. uh, And that's something Nintendo's been very, very uh, careful to emphasize as they've Mm -hmm. been pushing in these new directions. Uh, Even if the new directions don't always stick, they're bold enough to to try. Uh, And a lot of that has to do... With Iwata, because, you know, up to the point where he took over and really started doing hardware development, a lot of their, their hardware evolution was focused on iterative, uh, you know, boosting the power, boosting the number of buttons, things like that, Mm -hmm. all those logical things that all the other platform makers were also doing, uh, Mm -hmm. But the, the real Nintendo touch comes from being able to step outside of the established norm for what gaming is and to say, you know, how can we make this better? How can we make this right. something that more people will want to pick up and play?
0: Right. And I think we tend to, we meaning to some degree us, I think, and to some degree everyone um, tends to lose lose focus on is that, you know, Wii U may not be doing very well, but it is that creative spirit that, that that keeps, you know, Wii U is still the, I think, the most creative console, I think, the most fun console. Um, and I think that it, it wouldn't have that really, really unique um, and I think there's something very heartfelt about it and the, the games that are on it, and it wouldn't have that touch without, without people like Iwata saying this is what gaming is about. We need to focus on, yeah, refreshing things and keeping them fun for everyone. Um,
2: And even some of their archaic decisions, like not having voice chat in Splatoon. um, I have a a friend who was visiting from out of town, and they have three small boys. And they were, when I was telling them about Splatoon, uh, one of the first things they were asking was, you know, are my kids going to be able to play this game on the internet? And you know we think of online gaming, and we think of the tastes of people like us who are grown up, and we wanna right. communicate with our friends and we don't mind cursing at each other while we play, <laughs> but that's we not preferred. that's not the default assumption uh you know there need to be games that are safe spaces uh, mm-hmm. otherwise otherwise we just the the negatives of online gaming just become the norm, and they're things that always have to be there,
0: yeah yeah um and though i I still don't really agree with his, his... I don't know if it was Iwata's position, Nintendo's position on the Splatoon voice chat because they could always include an option and disable it by default. Yeah, I mean, I'd love but, for them to have put some parental the, controls the on top of it. I think, certainly there. Yeah. Or, yeah, like, the, the parental... Wii U has a parental controls app. They could just disable voice chat globally from there.
2: Yeah, and I'd love to see that be the solution going forward, honestly. Yeah. Uh, listen but, to our so. podcast, Nintendo. Um, <laughs> but... But the fact that they're even consider they even take stuff like that into consideration is just really it's it's something that you don't really see from a lot of companies who just kind of they just have the services and they just kind of expect people to police themselves but mm-hmm. but by taking the extra step to make this something that people can be comfortable with uh, something that people can approach and not be worried about um, you know that, that, I think that's that's special mm-hmm. absolutely
0: Have you guys seen much of the uh, fan art that's come? come out of
1: uh i've seen a few things like people posted on our facebook page
2: yeah
0: oh, okay i, I, I like... suppose you haven't we we have a great collection of of like iwata fan art that we posted on gamnesia did, did neither of you guys read that Uh no or i, no, I haven't looked, looked through the it, article yet uh, i mean i, I saw the well posted, but... th-
2: i have been supremely swamped since sunday so i see well
0: okay well there goes that discussion topic <laughs> sorry
2: listeners i'm a terrible person
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is great fan art though. Uh, I'm sure so many of you have already seen it. Um, and if you haven't, you know, you can look at our Facebook page. You can look at that article. You can look at DeviantArt at Twitter, um, on YouTube. I mean, there's just so, there's such a huge outpouring of support and love for Iwata. And there's also, I've seen, seen people taking things into their own hands in plenty of other, I think really touching ways. Um, I noticed, There's another podcast, Nintendo Voice Chat, that IGN does, and they have a community on Facebook, about 1,000, 1,500 people, something like that, Um, and they they started an initiative uh, to donate to, I forget what the organization is called, but essentially Japan's leading cancer research organization. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I've seen Artsy Omni, who does the Smashified series that we've talked about on the show, we've had him on the show, Uh, you guys might remember him. He designed a shirt or a series of shirts uh that he's thinking of selling uh for, for charity um to go to, to, to research it to the cause or uh, I mean I I've seen so many lovely touching ideas that um you know it's it's so nice to see that that people really appreciate who he was and what he did and I hope I I'm glad that Nintendo is able to see that kind of support. Um, I hope that Iwata could find that kind of support, um, and that kind of love for him, um. Before you know, it all flooded out after his passing, um, which he obviously can't see. Um, but I you know I, I I, it's really touching and and, it's so nice to see that. People care this much.
2: Well, and it's nice, especially to see that uh, you know, a lot of the times when when corporate CEOs pass, the the rush is like, okay, how do we how do we capture the story? Like when Steve Jobs died, yeah, there were there were some charitable things, but there was also this rush to make a biopic about him uh, right. to kind of commercialize his death. And I, and I, to see most of the things that I've seen so far have been very. You know, we want to celebrate him. We want to, uh, you know, all these uh, cancer charities, all these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, efforts to kind of get him memorialized in games. Like I saw a petition to get uh, Balloon Fighter in Smash Bros. as kind of a tribute since Aww. that was one of his first uh, major IP that he worked on for Nintendo. Um,
0: that is uh, the one thing that would that would get me to support
2: Balloon Fighter in Smash Bros. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, And I I think that speaks a lot, not just to who Iwata was, but to to how Nintendo fans are.
0: Yeah, and well, I think I mean I think part of it also has to do with like Steve Jobs was was I think it's safe to say the face of the tech industry. Yeah, and when he was around, the tech industry was so quickly evolving and so quickly expanding and just insanely successful. Um, I don't know. I maybe if Iwata were that iconic to the gaming industry. There would be this insane rush to commercialize it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think there's been less of an overall like media sensation and yeah. more of just a fan sensation, which right. is, I think, you know, wonderful that, you know, it's it's not just people looking to make a quick dollar off the story. All of the right, all of the outpouring is from people that loved him.
2: Yeah, I I kind of wonder what will happen in in you know a couple of decades when the Wii is as old as the NES is now. And how people will remember that era of Nintendo's history, uh, whether they'll rem- remember it with the same nostalgic fondness that people have for the NES era. I kind of think they will. I think they will too, because that was a that was a time when so many people were introduced to gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people have that that joke that it was all casual gamers and and grandparents and, filthy. Uh, fil- yes, filthy <laughs> casuals. But I, I don't I don't think a lot of people really appreciate that that was. You know, that was also the era of Super Mario Galaxy. That was the era of Twilight Princess. That was the era of Super Smash Bros. Brawl, which I know a lot of people don't have a lot of love for, but it's still the biggest Smash Bros. game uh, to date. Uh, that was the era of New Super Mario Bros., which I know a lot of people, again, were disappointed with, but it showed that, that.
0: Well, I think people loved the original, the New Super Mario Bros. Wii. That's true. So even New Super Mario Bros. Wii, I think, still is going to be remembered
2: really fondly uh, in the end. Yeah, well, I, the real amazing thing is that people were still so excited about a two D Mario. Even a lot mm-hmm. of people who had probably never really been exposed to it were still right. They they still recognize that as a really essential part of gaming, and I think that's right. that's what we is going to wind up being remembered as down the line. And with that, I think we might see Iwata kind of be elevated more prominently as a figure who was really influential to the game industry. At least I hope. Oh, and just as uh, I hope so.
1: As the NES was a lot of people's first console that they kind of you know fondly remember. That's that's how it's going to be with the Wii as well. For a lot of people, it was their first or possibly only dedicated gaming console. Yeah,
2: yeah. and even DS beyond that, DS was even huger than Wii. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, inevitably, uh, it certainly didn't seem that way when they were both out. Wii was taking up the spotlight, but but DS right. was was a behemoth of its own. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, a lot of what's happened in tech since the DS and Wii came out has been, in some ways, I wouldn't say descended from it, but related to it. You have VR now, which is very motion-centric, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the barriers of that have been coming down over the past, you know, couple decades. But it's Nintendo who was really the first people to introduce that to the masses in their in their homes, in their living rooms, and I think a lot of. Uh, the excitement we're seeing about VR maybe would have still been there but i don't think that the the tech would have been so boldly pushed uh this quickly without right. without motion controls kind of being realized as a viable thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Well also i mean i think i think and maybe just because the nature of the beast is so radically different this isn't a great comparison but i think uh in many ways we wouldn't have the uh, tablet and sort of smartphone culture that we see if not for the DS really exploding onto the scene with touch controls um, showing what you can do with, with like drawings and uh, and menu systems and stuff like that with a touch screen. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and like I said, you know, there's such radically different technologies, but, you know consider that the three that the ds was three years ahead of the iphone which itself didn't this the whole smartphone tablet mobile touch whatever boom you know that that even happened a while after the iphone was first introduced so yeah you know the three years plus that extra time
1: yeah yeah you know i I definitely think it influenced the uh the tablet and mobile market but especially like gaming on mobile markets not only did nintendo introduce new people to games with wii and ds but i think they were partially responsible for developers realizing what a viable platform tablets could be and, and smartphones could be because they saw how well touch games worked on the ds and so they wanted to yeah. you know that there's an even bigger market of touchscreens out there with cell phones and tablets so put your games on those as well and i think I think, in a way, the, the DS helped inspire the just utterly massive mobile market that exists now.
0: Absolutely. And I hope that they take the next step and bring some of those games that made DS what it was to the mobile market, like Brain Age, and Nintendogs. Definitely. Because um, I, I do think it would be a shame if they only did, like, Mario, Zelda, Donkey Kong, Pokemon, and Kirby, or Animal Crossing, or whatever. Um, and and ignored the the games that created the casual audience that then flocked to mobile stuff.
2: And I think a lot of that will will have to do with this quality of life initiative that Iwata has been talking about. Um Well, and I wonder where that kind of stuff is going to go. Cuz it's seem- Yeah, cuz it's we've been it's been kind of quiet for a while beyond that first health device.
0: Yeah, and it seemed to me like it was really Iwata's thing too. It seemed like he was really the one Interested in pushing that?
2: Well, I, I think for quality of life in particular, it's a very services oriented thing. And with mm-hmm. DNA coming on board, there may have been some shakeups uh, behind the scenes and kind of getting all that worked out as yeah. to how that's going to be. work. Because memberships and uh, and services and user accounts and all this stuff is very important to make making all that stuff work the way it should. Uh, especially if you want it to really be a life improvement thing and not just uh, an app that people maybe use once or twice. Um, right. So in that way, I think the the partnership with DNA has even more significance because it's not just going to touch gaming. It's going to touch all these other ways that you can use uh, technology, not just Nintendo platforms, but, you know, certainly Nintendo platforms, but also all these mm-hmm. other devices that have really penetrated people's lives. Yeah. Um, kind of getting back to the the discussion we were having about DS influencing tablets, um, I think a lot of people sort of don't appreciate how much the Wii's push on Really hitting the user experience uh, exactly right for the mass market had an influence on you know some of the same kinds of developments where you have the uh, iOS the iOS user interface really resembles in many ways the Wii channel menu.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, I actually hadn't thought of it that way.
2: And you might say that that's really just a different kind of windows interface, but it's really not because the icons are so prominent in the way it's laid out, uh, the way you recognize which app is, which, uh, they're not just icons. They're actual screens in many cases. Um, I noticed that immediately when I first saw the iPhone, I was like, this looks like the Wii home menu. I wonder (laughs) if there's a connection and you even, you know, the focus on touching things with a finger. And then you had the Wii, uh, pointer was a finger, like there's there's so many parallels. Uh, well, that one might be stretching it a little. <laughs> well, I don't know because when you think about it, uh, the the core design of of we using the motion controller was it was a way to kind of have you touch the screen in front of you, even though it was a that's TV true. screen. And it's that's true. And at the time, TVs had dumb screens, so they couldn't have recognized touch <laughs> and input. So it was like a first, the first kind of TV touch controller, but also a 3D controller. There's just so many ways you can look at the Wii controller as this really interesting user experience uh, that yeah. hadn't been done by people a- in a sort of TV-connected space before.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and yeah, a lot of that did did trickle over into how the big user experience push we've seen with mobile and that we've seen with uh, all these other emerging computer platforms like smartwatches, even um, VR now. Uh, a lot of that, mm-hmm. I don't know that a lot of that would have really blossomed the way it has, had this... This user experience push beyond you know just graphics and beyond uh big game worlds like those that was the trajectory that most developers were on but but Nintendo decided now we're gonna do this in addition to that right so here's a question for you guys. Would you buy an Iwata
0: amiibo I've seen like there's like this fan pet- I think it's a petition uh mm-hmm. where people want to get Iwata immortal imm- <makes-> memorialized as an amiibo. What do you guys think of that?
2: I don't know. It seems like it's too much uh, of a monetization of uh, a person. Well, what which... if they
0: put the money instead toward, like if they you know, didn't use it as profit, but instead put it towards, say, cancer research or to supporting the Awada family? No. That'd, that'd be something.
1: Yeah, I think that sounds like a great idea. At, at first, I kind of thought, you know, the idea of attempting to memorialize him by making an amiibo of him seemed a little almost irreverent but the more i thought about it the more i realized you know that's that's pretty much entirely subjective you know to some people that will give them you know some sort of comfort or joy or you know make them you know happy about the career he had and you know like you said if they they could put the money towards a good cause so you know really if that's something that would bring happiness to a lot of nintendo gamers you know something for nintendo to consider
0: yeah
2: and I guess yeah. another aspect of it is really that Iwata has become a Nintendo character in many ways, uh, because mm-hmm. like we've been talking about, he's not just a, a suit. He's, he's, you know, the star of his own video show, you know, the Nintendo director. Right, Directs. he's a
0: personality, he's a host, he's a friend yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly don't think it would, it would clash with, you know, the other Amiibo being Nintendo characters, um. I don't think it's a very far leap at all.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure I'd want it to be a trend though. Uh for, you know, every major Nintendo figurehead who ha- you happens to Kr- pass away. You don't want to Amiibos? Uh no. Mm. And and if it, if if it became a thing where you have to collect the Iwata, Miyamoto, Aonuma, et cetera Amiibo that just that'd be a little too much, I think. Uh, mm. but <laughs> but no, I like I like the charity idea it, and and I, mm-hmm. I do like the Amiibo idea because because of his long involvement and because of the way he's interacted with fans over the years. Mm. I guess one thing I'm curious about is, is how much uh, going forward from here, uh, Nintendo's direction with NX and all these other new initiatives, how much of his stamp we're really going to see on a lot of what comes out of Nintendo in the next few years?
0: Yeah, I mean, we hear, we hear a lot of the executives saying, you know, we will do everything we can to honor his legacy, uh, his mission. Um, but you know, I wonder if when they've finished saying that, you know, a a new CEO comes in, who's a little bit more susceptible to shareholders who think that mobile is king and that that means long-term profits and not short-term profits because they're wrong.
2: Um, (laughs) No kidding. Preach it.
0: (laughs) But, um, yeah, you know, I, I I do wonder, I think, I think Though a lot of their modernizations, like say embracing mobile, embracing uh online, which they still haven't done, um, (laughs) I think a lot of those are coming too slowly, but I also think, um, in many ways, it's honestly in the end for the better because you know, if if someone else say, came in and, and thought that Nintendo should make a radical shift to mobile. Um, I mean, I, I think, though I think Iwata was ultimately too slow in adapting many of these things, I think that the spirit with which the company under Iwata adopted these initiatives is very much the correct spirit and and really flies in the face of of all this free to start garbage and and st- Nintendo did free to start but they did it right. Right. Nintendo's right. doing DLC but largely they're doing it right. Um whereas other companies embrace these good ideas and then turn them to garbage.
2: And rapidly turn them to garbage.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh just poor poor content for high high prices just you know treating the consumer like
2: like a piggy bank. An ATM.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and Nintendo absolutely does not do that, and I, I think that a lot of that has to do with Iwata's attitude that, that traditional console gaming is the way that games should be, and if we're going to do these initiatives like DLC, like mobile, they've
1: got to support that,
0: not change it.
1: And then even when it comes to mobile gaming, he's talked a lot in the last few months about uh, the payment model Nintendo intends to use for their mobile games, and he said, you know, a lot of Japanese developer, they charge pretty high amounts or have just a lot of things that cost money in the games, a lot of microtransactions. But he said he'd rather work on the, the scale that's better accepted in the West, which is where you try to get as many customers as possible and just get a little bit of money from each of them instead of trying to overcharge everybody and, you know, screwing over your customers and ending up with a smaller consumer base. I absolutely so, agree it, that that's the right plan. I don't agree that that's what's accepted in the West well, that's that's more or less how you know. He said we have to. It, it might right. not be that it's accepted in the West, but it's it's how he believes. No, that, I know. I, uh, was, I was just teasing. It's how he believed Nintendo should proceed in order to establish themselves in the West, I know, just I know, by absolutely. having very very affordable apps. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, if there's anything you can't criticize them for, it's that they uh, they've definitely been very thoughtful about how they approach all these new technology shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't just rushed in to follow the trends, which right. is beautiful, actually. Um, and I do think that probably the biggest hurdle to them going mo- to mobile was, was the business model and that they didn't want to not only feel like they were, uh, selling their own content short, but also that they were gouging consumers. Um, cause it, I don't know if you guys remember, but at one of his other GDC keynotes, uh, I think it was 2009, he said something about, uh, how his, you know, biggest, uh, fear I guess with the mobile shift was that that content would be devalued and we have seen that a lot uh, where mm-hmm. games that have come out you know three three months ago in some cases will lose like a third of their value uh, even even the packaged games um, and a lot of that has to do with this sort of pay as little as possible mentality that's, that's come with the shift to mobile gaming where people don't just want cheap games they want free games um, and mm-hmm. If the games aren't free, it's because you're paying for all these perks and you're a super user. Like, that's not that's not the model Nintendo has in mind. They want games that everyone can enjoy, regardless of how much they pay. Um, mm-hmm. I was going somewhere with that, but
1: <laughs> um, and discussing
2: how Iwata
1: likes to make games, or you know, just Nintendo under Iwata prefers to make games that everybody enjoys. Yeah, that's also reflected in the mobile market where they announced with DNA that. Uh, they'll be releasing five games, each one using a different IP and each one in a different genre so that they can appeal to fans from casual to the more core and just hit on every note basically because whenever they start a new venture, they want to think about how can we do this in order to make everyone happy.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, that's something I really hope continues because um, so much of Nintendo's identity uh, for themselves and for fans and so much of the reason that they they still have 10 million dedicated customers um, is that we want to make you happy, Spirit. Um, you know, it's not about making the most money. It's about making people smile and, and making people laugh and making people shout at each other during Smash Bros. Um, and... That sincerity with which they make games, I think, is so, so valuable, and I hope that uh, despite that heart, at least for now, uh, moving away from the CEO position, um, hopefully someone, whoever fills his shoes, has the same spirit and the same mission, and hopefully they don't lose that about themselves. Because that, I think, is what makes Nintendo just so so special.
2: Luckily, they are an established enough company with uh, deep-rooted traditions in how they approach uh, not only the games that they make but the way they do business. Uh, I'm not, I'm not worried about them losing that anytime soon. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the thing I'm most worried about is whether the new crop of Nintendo leadership really has the business acumen that comes with having led a company uh that really got kicked off uh during, you know, the the great industry crash of 1983. That's when they flourished uh at first. And and again when they were kind of in their weakest moment with the GameCube, they, you know, right. came back with a roar with with D S and Wii, and a lot of that had to do with you know, a water remembering what it was that made the NES such a breakout hit. You know, they said back then that they wanted to target the lapsed gamers and you know for Nintendo to succeed going forward, they're going to need someone who's really in tune with what, what it was that helped them connect with people uh, Mm. and make them smile. Like you said, Uh, uh, it's something that's, that's so integral to the way that people see them, the way they see themselves, um, the way people perceive their franchises even. Um, there's just there's just no Nintendo without that spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, go watch the Heart of a Gamer speech on YouTube. <laughs> it's about an hour long, and you will enjoy every minute of it. Yeah, uh, it'll show you how funny Iwata is. It will show you how honestly how great an English speaker he is because he makes a lot of off the cuff remarks that yeah. definitely weren't scripted. Uh, That's something that I'm I'm really hoping we'll get from from his successor, is someone who can communicate directly with us without having to go through a translator, because that's it's so much more fun and so much more intended uh, directly directly to you. Yeah, maybe, (laughs) Uh, maybe (laughs) I've just (laughs) maybe it's just subconscious at this point, and I just say it without (laughs) thinking about it. Um, uh, And I do hope the Nintendo directs continue. Now that you mention it, Um, Hmm.
0: man. Oh. I don't know what they're going to do for the next one.
2: Yeah, I don't know. They don't have weird. another real face of them. I mean, Bill Trinan does an okay job, but he's not... He's no Iwata, you know?
0: No. No. Maybe they'll just use Puppet Iwata. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That'd be kind of weird if it didn't have his voice.
0: Well, they could use, like, recycled... I'm not... This isn't, like, a serious proposal. No. <laughs> but yeah. they But they could do, like, recycled voice clips. I mean, what he always said was, please take a look directly to you hello everyone so i mean they in theory they could
2: yeah they could use those
0: um Uh, they could splice it together in such a way that that still makes it cohesive even if even if he's not there to record new voices because other presenters could do it and then he could just be you know the one who ties the threads together yeah but so alex i notice you are referring to Iwata in the present tense a lot. And I'm wondering, and this goes for everyone, because I'm not even sure my own answer, but has it really sunk in to you yet that he's gone?
2: No. Um, You know, ever since he said earlier this year that he wanted to talk about this new NX idea next year, I've kind of had it in my head. That I, we're going to see him on stage at next year's E3 or something, uh, revealing this idea to the world for the first time, and that's that's been a really significant image for me. In part because you know I see the position that Nintendo's in now with 3ds and Wii U, where. Uh, they sort of have fallen short of their mission to expand the gaming population.
0: Yeah, it's really narrowed down to the core Nintendo fans, which is the opposite right. of what they wanted.
2: Right. And and if their corporate mission really is to expand the gaming audience, then they really need to have a next-gen platform that does that and and really lives up to that. And I, I don't mean to suggest that they need to have a Wii moment per se because Wii was just so huge. But I feel like they're going for something with the same kind of spirit and i can't imagine anyone but satoru iwata presenting that concept because of how deeply involved he was with the whole uh push for that direction uh, after the the sort of failure of the gamecube um and uh, and a lot of this also comes from having watched his heart of the gamer speech recently Uh, he really believes in that idea and he's really passionate about the idea that gaming shouldn't just be for the people who enjoy games today. It should be for for everyone who wants to play. Um, And I I, I guess I'm just really hoping to see Nintendo go back on that path. uh, And I I just can't imagine anyone else showing us what that's going to look like. I can't imagine anyone else's words being put to that idea.
0: I can't imagine anyone else's words, I feel like, being put to Nintendo, really. I mean, his voice has just been so, so present.
2: Yeah, and it's a product, I think, of, of now we're in the era where you can basically hear anyone speaking in real time over the internet. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas before uh, all interviews were in print, you didn't ever get to hear them say what they were saying. Right, Uh, but he's been the first, I guess, official voice of Nintendo. You're right. What also,
0: though, because Nintendo directs and and you know E3 conferences and stuff where he presented. um, You know, it just it it feels like Nintendo's still here, so Iwata must still be here. Yeah, but you know, I think it's. I mean, and I've 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 choked up and even. Cried a couple times, um, but it still hasn't really – like, it hit me, but I haven't realized it. I haven't
2: absorbed – Yeah, we haven't really seen what that's – what the world without Iwata is actually like.
0: Right. Here. I haven't really been able to process that, you know, it's not just the idea of him uh, passing – um it's
2: it's that it's like a person with ideas and with a with spirit and with heart
1: you know and Alex you talk about how he uh wanted to expand video games expand you know the idea of what it means to be a gamer beyond the the typical audience and to include more people and he said recently that that was basically the goal of his first decade as CEO of Nintendo was to redefine gaming and expand gaming, and he said recently that he wanted to devote the next ten years to doing the same for entertainment in general, and that you know the quality of life and other initiatives like that were Nintendo's way of hopefully redefining the entire entertainment industry the way they did gaming, and yeah. so you know I, I just you know hope that whoever replaces him still has you know that passion for just bringing excitement and innovation to the industry.
2: No, luckily we know Miyamoto does so, <laughs> yeah. uh, with his love for film. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. Uh, it, it's not just games anymore. Yeah, and it's not a Wada anymore. Oh man, I know it's blowing my mind. And that's that's what's so hard
0: to shake because he's been such a so synonymous with the spirit of Nintendo. Yeah. So everybody, I think this wraps up this episode of Nintendo Week. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, The outro music this week is a live performance of Smiles and Tears from Earthbound, which uh, I think is very appropriate for the occasion. So please have a listen.